The Hammer, Chapter 1 Corvin jerked awake, gasping as if he'd been trapped underwater. Cold sweat trickled past his ear. He hated that nightmare. Not only because it left him sleepless and frightened, but each time it came back, it reinforced his conviction that it was much more than just a bad dream. He swung his shaking legs out of bed. Should he tell his parents about it? He shook his head. He would turn fifteen in just over a week. He couldn't be running down to their room like a frightened child. He crossed to the window, sat on the wide sill, and leaned against the jamb. The sun rising over the trees caught the silver leaves of the aspens dancing in its soft light. A cool breeze, fresh with the scent of approaching rain, raised goosebumps on his skin. Beyond the trees, the gentle wind stirred his family's crop of wheat into waves that swept out to run ashore along a massive mound of granite. The rounded sides of the rock climbed thirty feet above the golden lake of grain in an unbroken curve until it reached the castle rocks, Corvin's name for the ring of large boulders crowning the summit. From his window, the circle of stones looked like the beginnings of another Stonehenge or the ruins of an ancient island citadel. He could almost see the warriors fighting in the shadows flowing around its defenses. The whistle of the kettle boiling in the kitchen broke the spell. Corvin sighed. Imagination was much more fun than the real world. He would rather go back to bed to face the dark monster in the nightmare than get ready for another day of school. At least with the monster, he would eventually wake up and the fear would fade. In real life, at least for the past year, his fears clung to him like burrs on his woolen socks. Corvin! He jumped back from the window to find his mother standing in his doorway, her long blonde hair squashed up against a short doorframe. I should have known you'd be daydreaming. Didn't you hear me call you down to breakfast? I was sleeping. She looked at him sideways. I heard you holler. Corvin shrugged. I must have been dreaming. He walked around the bed and pulled on his patched jeans. She squinted at him. No doubt you were. She stepped through the doorway and straightened to her full height. I met Miss Thompson at the store yesterday. Corvin's heart dropped at the mention of his teacher. She says you've been coming in late this past week. I told her you must be dawdling on the way, for you certainly leave here in plenty of time. Corvin tugged on his t-shirt over his head, not wanting her to see the guilt written across his face. The truth was, he wanted to be late for school, for the whole year if possible. His head poked out as the horn of their trunk honked in the driveway. We'll talk about this later. Your father has been called to the mine. The horn honked again. I'm going along with him to sell my cider at the farmer's market. She shot a warning look his way. Be on time today. She ducked back through the door and went quickly down the stairs. Corvin waited until he heard the sound of their truck pulling down the long lane before making his way to the kitchen. A wisp of steam rose lazily from the kettle's spout on the wood stove, and a pot of oatmeal sat nearby on the cupboard. Corvin poked at the sticky lumps. He was used to having oatmeal every weekday morning, but for the last few months there had been no brown sugar to put on top, and often they were out of milk. A dog barked in the lane. Corvin grabbed his lunchbox and ran to the front door, but there was no one there, just a mangy stray slinking through the trees. Every morning since the start of grade eight, when Kate and her mom had moved to town, she had picked him up on her way to school. But last week she informed him she wouldn't be walking with him anymore. She wouldn't say why. Kate could be so secretive and stubborn at times, and it made for a hard week. The morning breeze had died away, and a soft brown dust from the passing of his dad's truck still hung over their tree-lined driveway. A red-tailed hawk waited for him on top of the weathered gatepost at the end of the lane, its dark eyes following Corvin's every move. It reminded him of the bullies at school, always watching for an opportunity to swoop in and pick him to pieces. Plucking a stone from the road, he whipped it at the post to scare the hawk away, but missed. The hawk blinked in disdain, 
rose up in the air with its distinctive screech and soared out over their field. Corvin ran his dusty hand over his crew-cut hair as he trudged on towards school. If only he could fly above the world and go wherever he wanted. Avoiding the main streets, he made his way up the back alley. Ducking under the barbed wire, he crept through the underbrush. The sound of playing children grew louder, and he poked his head around the final clump of Saskatoon bushes. Their one-room schoolhouse had seen better days. It was new when his father attended, but now its faded red paint hung from the rough boards and brittle strips. Two of the windows on this side were cracked, and another one had been boarded up when a rock aimed at Corvin's head had shattered it. Corvin scanned the playground. Billy Fry, the hand behind that rock and the main reason for Corvin's coming late each day, was nowhere in sight. He breathed a sigh of relief. The bully's frequent truancy was one of the few things that made school days bearable. Whenever Billy showed up, Corvin could count on being harassed all day. Checking around the playground, he spied Kate sitting alone against the broken-down picket fence next to the ball diamond. The bangs of her red hair were flopped over her eyes, and he didn't think she noticed him until she jerked a thumb toward the boy's outhouse. Billy must be inside. Corvin stopped outside the gate. If he could make it to the school door, he would be safe, at least to lunch. Corvin took a deep breath, opened the gate, and started walking nonchalantly toward the school. Kate was watching, and he didn't want her to think he was a chicken. He glanced over at the outhouse. Hopefully Billy was constipated. The outhouse door sprang open and Billy stepped into the light, looping one strap of his patched coveralls over his broad shoulder. He stood at the top of the outhouse stoop and surveyed the playground like a wolf looking for the weakest member of the herd. His eyes locked on Corvin and a cruel grin spread over his face. Corvin glanced at Kate. She was biting her lower lip and looking hard in the other direction. He didn't expect her to always fight Billy for him but her presence usually curbed his bullying instincts. In fact, all the boys kept their distance from Kate's lightning fists, for her thin frame had a feisty fighter who could blacken an eye and get away before a larger opponent could even try to pin her down. Not to be deprived of his prey, Billy lumbered over to Corbin. Well, it's good to see you on time for once, cause I got something to tell ya. I'm all ears, Corbin replied, attempting to disarm Billy with a wide grin. I can see that. Billy flicked the lobes of Corvin's ears until he winced in pain. The way these things stick out, you look like Dumbo. Corvin tried to pull away, but Billy stepped on his toes, pinning him to the ground and forcing him to look into the boy's broad chest. Kate spoke up from behind Billy. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Billy pushed himself away to face her. Didn't you notice, Kate? There's no one my size in our school. He laughed and looked down at Corvin. Maybe Corvin's dad could fight me. He spread out his hands in pretend shock. Oh yeah, I forgot. Corvin's dad's a shrimpy chicken. He took a measured step back from Kate. And you don't even have a dad. Kate squinted through her bangs for a long moment, her jaw tensing as she chewed the inside of her cheek. Her eyes flickered over to Corvin. Then she shook her head and walked away. Billy watched her leave and turned his attention back to Corvin. My dad says your kind don't belong in our school. Corvin looked at the ground. This was not the first time someone had talked to him this way. Billy flicked his ears again. Are you listening to me? The bell rang and the children scampered past to beat one another into the building. Billy slapped an open hand the size of a baseball glove on Corvin's head and shoved him to the ground. Best stay home from school, Dumbo, because he ain't going to enjoy being here as long as I'm around. Looking past Billy's legs, Corvin could see Kate watching them, her fist tightly clenched. She took a step in their direction, then turned around and walked into the school. 
A plume of dust exploded in Corbin's eyes. And don't go looking for Kate to save you. My dad talked to her mom. She ain't gonna let Kate help you no more. The bell fell silent. Billy kicked another spray of dirt at him, and then his footsteps faded toward the building. Corbin sat on the ground, allowing his eyes to water and rinse the dust away. So that was why Kate wasn't coming around anymore. Gritty tears slid down his cheeks, clearing his eyes. Great. Now the other kids would think he'd been crying. Getting to his feet, he slapped the dust off himself and glanced back to the gate. This would be a good day to skip school. Then again, with his mother and teacher comparing notes, it might not be the best idea. His shoulders drooped as he walked to the building and slipped through the door. Miss Thompson stood at the chalkboard with her back to the class. The words, Oral Report, printed neatly over her head. He eased the heavy door closed. Corvin's here, ma'am. Billy Fry's voice broke the silence like the brash call of a raven. Miss Thompson did not turn around. You are late again, Corvin. You will stay after school to write lines. Billy sneered at him, but one row over, Corvin saw the sympathy in Kate's eyes. He gave her a quick smile as he headed toward his desk at the back of the room. Usually the smaller kids sat up front, but Miss Thompson thought it would be best to let him sit where he would attract the least attention from those that loved to tease him. Miss Thompson's voice pulled him up short. Since you are already standing, Corvin, you will be the first one to give your oral report about what you did this past summer. His empty stomach clenched. He racked his brain for a topic as he dragged himself to the front of the class. It had been a long and boring summer as there was no money for gas to take a vacation. The weather had been unusually hot and dry, and his father had stayed in the cellar most days. But something had happened, something that was worth telling the others about. He reached Miss Thompson's desk and turned to face the class. My oral report is on a large green lizard that lives near the rock in our field. I tracked it all summer. It's about this high. He held a hand up past his waist. It has dark blue markings around its chest and face, and it walks upright on its hind legs. And Miss Thompson's ruler smacked her open hand. Corvin, the assignment was an oral report about your summer vacation, not another of your tall tales. She shook her head. You know as well as I do. There are no three-foot-high dinosaur-like lizards around here. This is 1952, not the Mesozoic era. Corvin's mind wandered while she continued talking to the class about dinosaurs. In a recent story in one of his favorite science fiction magazines, a club known as the Mad Scientists had hatched a dinosaur egg. His own town was close to one of the largest deposits of dinosaur bones in the world. Was it actually possible for an egg to be preserved deep underground and then hatch when it was pushed to the surface by the spring thaw? Was that why the lizard was so large? Corvin! Miss Thompson's voice pierced his mental fog. How many times do I need to tell you to sit down? Coming to his senses, he looked out over the rows of laughing classmates. His face burned as he walked past the younger children to the back of the class. True to form, Billy Fry stuck out a huge foot and Corvin tripped, stumbling against his own desk and scattering his pencils across the back of the room. Easing himself into the seat, he opened his desk and hunched down to hide behind the lid. At a touch on his shoulder, he looked up. Kate was leaning back to him from the next row, one of his pencils in her hand. He closed his desk and took the pencil, unwinding a narrow piece of paper wrapped around it. We need to talk. Meet me at the rock after supper. Corvin barely had time to read the message before it disappeared into Billy Fry's grimy hand. Billy, what are you up to now? A weary Miss Thompson walked up the aisle. Billy grinned at Corvin, then turned around. Sorry, ma'am. But Corvin's writing notes in class. He held up the strip of foolscap to the teacher. She took the paper from Billy and Corvin slouched down farther into his chair. 
Miss Thompson scrutinized the handwriting and turned to Kate. Miss Poley, you will stay after school and write one hundred times on the blackboard. I will not pass notes in school. I can't, Miss Thompson, Kate pleaded. I have to clean the house and make supper before my mom gets home. Miss Thompson's posture softened, but Billy Fry twisted his wide frame around to face Kate and mouthed a few nasty words about Kate's mother behind the teacher's back. Kate's eyes blazed, and Miss Thompson stepped in closer. Then you will eat lunch inside with the younger children and write your lines. Corvin's heart sank. Kate never ate lunch with anyone else as she rarely brought any with her. He would make sure the second sandwich his mother put in his lunchbox found its way into Kate's hand. Pink crept up Kate's cheeks. She pushed her shoulders back. A look of satisfaction covered Billy's face. I bet her mom spent the lunch money at the bingo hall, he snickered. Miss Thompson whirled around and her wooden ruler broke over Billy's head. Kate was halfway up the aisle before the pieces hit the floor. Kate, Miss Thompson's voice brought the girl up short near the classroom door. You do not have permission to leave class, her tone eased. Please take your seat. We can talk about this later. Kate's lower lip quivered as she pulled the bangs even farther over her eyes. She had cried only once in front of Corbin, and he knew there was no way she would ever let the class see her tears. Kate put her hand on the doorknob. I don't need permission to leave, because I'm never coming back. In a flash she was gone, leaving the students in stunned silence. Corvin ground his teeth. He hated Billy. What right did he have to make fun of Kate's home life? It wasn't like his was any better. If only he had the strength of one of his comic book heroes, he'd make Billy pay for all the misery he caused. But he was no hero. He hadn't even stood up for Kate in taking the blame for the note. He slumped further in his seat. Once again he'd given in to his fears. Billy was right. He was a chicken, a runt, a pathetic excuse for a human being. A dark cloud hung over Corvin for the remainder of the day. Fortunately, Billy left at lunch complaining of a headache. To avoid taunts about his blue lizard friend, Corvin ate by himself in the dugout of the weed-choked baseball diamond. After lunch, Miss Thompson announced that she would be gone the following day so there would be no school. At that news, the black cloud lifted. As soon as classes were over, Corbin worked on writing his assigned lines on the board with fervor, not wanting to waste precious moments of freedom. By the time he was finished, his fingers were cramped into a claw from scratching with the chalk, but before he could leave, Miss Thompson called him to her desk. Corvin, I have been your teacher since you were in grade three. Soon you will be in your final years of school. It's time you stop daydreaming and exaggerating. I'm sorry, Miss Thompson, I promise. Ah! Her finger waggled in the air. I don't want to hear another promise that you have no intention of keeping. I know some of the other boys pick on you and I will do my best to see that it stops. But you add fuel to the fire when you tell the class an outlandish story about a giant lizard. She leaned in toward him. Integrity is a basic building block of a successful life. Think of your father, Corvin. Try to follow his example. Corvin nodded but couldn't look her in the eyes. He turned and dragged his feet out the door. On the walk home, he turned her words over in his mind. He really did want to be an honest person like his dad, but instead he found himself continually making excuses and telling lies. If he were honest, he didn't really believe it paid to be truthful. People not only took advantage of his father's honesty, they also mocked his dad out behind his back. Because of his complexion, they nicknamed him Tonto, referring to the Lone Ranger's sidekick. They also enjoyed making jokes about his height, for he was the shortest man in town most likely the entire county. To his dismay, Corvin had inherited his father's skin tone and stature. A good ten inches shorter than any of the other kids in his grade, his small size gave others all the ammunition they needed to make his life miserable. 
Corvin had tried to win their respect by telling fantastic stories, but that only earned him a reputation as a liar. He savagely kicked a stone on the gravel road. No doubt everyone thought his description of the lizard was just another lie, but it wasn't. He had seen it clearly three times this summer. He stopped at the top of their lane and looked back toward the schoolyard. There was only one thing to do. He was going to catch that lizard and prove them all wrong. As Corvin climbed over the gate, he spied his dad's rusty old pickup parked out front of the house, slouching on its broken springs. Great. Now his mom would want to know why he was late. There was nothing worse than getting in trouble at school and then again at home when his mom found out. If he got grounded tonight, he wouldn't get a chance to search for the lizard and he would also miss meeting Kate at the rock. Maybe he could sneak around to the back porch, climb the maple tree to his room, and pretend he'd been napping. As he veered off to the left side of the house, the screen door banged open and his mother stepped out. Here was living proof that opposites attract, for unlike his father, she was tall, and no matter how much time she spent outdoors, her skin remained pale. About time you got home, she said. You can help me carry the cider jars back to the pantry. I only sold three, but at least we could buy a few groceries. She opened the tailgate and slung a crate of jars at him with an ease that denied its weight. Grabbing the wooden box, Corvin barely managed to stumble his way up the stairs, across the porch, and through the front door. If he had his mother's strength, he could knock Billy Fry clean across the schoolyard. Entering the kitchen, he found his father staring out at the field. A pair of sunglasses stuck out from his hand, and his deeply lined eyes scanned the bright horizon. As Corvin scraped the crate onto the table, his father stood and walked out the back door without saying a word. Corvin desperately wanted to stop him and ask what was going on, but he knew it was no use. His father had become increasingly reclusive the past year. He missed his job at the mine and he hated farming. He couldn't stand being out in the hot sun. It sapped his energy even though he covered his skin and wore a wide hat. Corvin watched the hunch figure walking across the yard. He missed the days when his dad would come home from the mine and play games with him after supper. Now his dad spent most of his days and nights down in the cellar, pounding away on his metalwork projects. He was thankful his father didn't get drunk like Billy Fry's dad, but withdrawing to the cellar didn't seem like a great way to deal with problems either. His mother entered and hefted two full crates onto the kitchen table. She stared at her husband as he disappeared behind the rock and shook her head. I have no time to make supper tonight. Grab yourself some jerky and a piece of bread. I'll dig you up some carrots before I start weeding the garden. His mother's response to problems was to spend more time in her garden. Corvin really didn't mind. He liked eating the fruit of her labors, and her obsession with gardening usually meant he'd be left alone to pursue his own interests. After stuffing three long strips of dried meat from the stoneware crock into his pocket, he sauntered outside, where he found his mother on her knees in the middle of her huge garden, the dilapidated scarecrow watching silently over her. Picking up the bunch of carrots near the water pump, he began working the long iron handle. The pump squeaked as he washed the dirt off and his mother stretched her back. He avoided eye contact, hoping she wasn't going to ask him to help weed. He hated that job, and besides, he needed to be at the rock to meet Kate. The water ebbed to a slow drip and his mother went back to her weeding. He crept from the yard and headed out to the castle rock. It was a steep climb directly past the outhouse and up the south side of the rock, but Corvin knew every small foothold like the stairs to his bedroom. Reaching the top, he stepped into the gap and leaned back against one of the remaining boulders, like a king, surveying his domain. Their home was one of two farms that lay outside the main streets of their small town. The other belonged to Mr. Fry. Corvin's home was north of town at the end of a long tree-lined lane that pushed the house far out into an open field of grain. His father liked being separated from the town and always kept his gate closed and locked. Corvin couldn't see why he bothered. 
There were no sheds full of machinery and no barn. Their property didn't even have any grain bins. People joked that they just grew big rocks on their farm. Their yard and garden were bounded by twin rows of trees, one line of tall aspens and another thick screen of spruce. In the center of this living wall of green was their home, the guard tower, as his grandfather had named it. It was a fitting name, for it was a small square structure, two stories high, with a pointed roof, and it was the only home in town made from thick stone blocks. The structure had been built long before the surrounding area was settled. A history professor from the college in the city asked to see it, but his dad wouldn't let him pass the front gate. The rest of the houses were clustered along three wide gravel roads that ran parallel to the railway tracks. All in all, his town had one grain elevator, one corner gas station, two vacant lots, and 76 houses of various sizes. The total population was 257 residents, but most of them worked in the city of Fenwood, 15 miles past the railway crossing. He crunched the last bite of carrot and tossed the green top over the side of the hill. He really should be helping his mother in the garden instead of imagining himself as the king of the world, but Kate was coming, and he hoped it would set things right between them. He eased the feelings of guilt by walking around to the north side of the ring of rocks and looking out over the fields instead. His father, now a tiny stick figure in the distance, disappeared into the tangle of brush-filled coolies that marked the edge of their property. Beyond that boundary, the land dropped off steeply to the river. His father was likely going out to the caves that laced the sides of the river valley. He loved to explore the caverns and could be underground for days at a time. Corbin turned away and stepped down into the deep depression in the middle of the ring of rocks that crowned the hill. In the very center was the large rock that used to be in the gap facing his house. Somehow it had been broken off and relocated to the center of the circle. Most of the time it was bordered on its north side by a muddy pond, and when it rained the water would spill out into a channel that ran down the western slope of the large rock and rushed down into the field. But the past summer had been far too hot and dry, and the water had long since evaporated, leaving behind salt-crusted slabs of mud. Corbin continued across to the west side of the rock, where he'd be able to see Kate coming. The slope was gentler here, and the shallow depression of the water channel made a comfortable resting spot. The cradle of rock beneath him radiated its stored heat into his body, and he closed his eyes to block out the setting sun. The next thing he knew, the bell on the back porch was ringing. The sun had already gone down behind a thin band of clouds on the horizon, bronzing the scenery around him. Kate had not come. Most likely her mother had returned from work in another bad mood and refused to let her leave. Walking down the channel, he stopped in at the outhouse before washing up at the pump and going back into the kitchen. His mother was washing the dishes, and a bowl with a few strawberries was waiting for him at the table. There's not many left, and they're not the sweetest, but I thought you might enjoy them. Thanks, Mom. Is Dad coming back tonight? He dropped his head. His mother had enough things to worry about. She turned to face him. Your father needs some time to think things through, but don't let all this worry you. We've been through tough times before, and we'll make it through this one, too. She picked up his empty bowl from the table and pushed it into the sink of soapy water. It's been a long day, and I'll be going to bed soon. You should do the same and get some rest. She smiled at him over her shoulder. And hopefully you have better dreams and don't wake me up in the night. He gave her a quick hug. Good night, Mom. He climbed the stairs, muttering to himself, It won't be a good night. That stupid nightmare comes back. <laughs>